When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. podcast i'm nate smith here with chris francis and eli kim and this is our third take um so um, just bear with us bit of a sad start to the week for the Cavs fans nick gilbert passed away this week at 26 i think we all remember our first nick gilbert memory at the 2011 draft when the Cavs got the lottery ball for kyrie irving that was pretty fun, and I don't think there's a Cavs fan that doesn't have a soft spot in his heart for Nick Gilbert. So, Eli, thoughts? Yeah, just really sad. I died of a neurofibromatosis, which is non-cancerous tumors to the brain and spinal cord with no cure. Um, obviously, the bow tie has a famous, a lot of significance for the Cavs organization, and, you know, candidly. Nick kind of ushered in the post-LeBron 1.0 era for cast fans everywhere, and that's kind of where my fandom really started to take off. Um, always will have a soft spot on my heart because, you know, I feel like that lottery when Nick Gilbert was 14 years old kind of started a different era, a new chapter, and sad to believe it's already been, oh, what, 12 years? 12 years. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, sad day for the organization, and I'm sure – the Gilberts, everyone thinks, you know, they're very wealthy and nothing can hurt them. But obviously, health is really important and, you know, just a somber reminder that not everything is curable and we should cherish life because it's so fleeting and not promised. And there are more important things in life than basketball. A hundred percent. So with, with that, um, you know, I, I, I think. There was probably some thought that some of this might be coming just with the 
the kind of dedicating the season to him and the the bow tie on everybody's lapels and and that was kind of a theme of the season throughout so probably one of those things that we'll be thinking of for a while it'll, it'll kind of it's kind of ingrained in the fabric of Cavs fandom now and it, it's nice that we focus on these things that aren't so basketball centric and speaking of basketball uh we've got uh former Cav Kevin Love is part of the Miami team chasing New York tonight uh Kevin Love was not very good this evening <laughs> Uh, minus 12, especially bad. 0 for 7 from 3, especially bad to open the third quarter. But Miami, after being down over 20, is, has cut it to 5. So they still have a puncher's chance uh, with about 3.5 minutes left. And I think the narrative on the Cavs has changed a little with about with how easily New York is, or Miami has handled New York so far. I think even in this game, the fact that they've come back has is is pretty telling and New York has not looked like of all the teams that are in the second round we'd all agree that New York looks the weakest oh yeah definitely it's weird because I was just listening to Dell on um on the morning shows on ESPN or whatever it's funny because basically the things that New York did well in that Cavs series, offensive rebounding, showing heart, showing grit, showing toughness, the bench scoring of the Knicks, all of those things that the Knicks did well against the Cavs, they're not doing at all against the, the Heat. And it's weird because if you look at the rosters, you Jimmy Butler is probably stands above the rest, but the Heat roster... Is not that good. I mean, they start Kevin Love. Kevin Love was a bench piece for the Cavs. Their deaths. They're missing six man of the year, Tyler Hero. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as far as usage goes, he's their second option on offense. It has been this season. Somehow the resurrection of Duncan Robinson has occurred uh, in the playoffs. Gabe Vincent, you know, undrafted free agent. Max Struess, I think same deal. Crazy. You, you know, Spolstra's running a 10-man rotation this game. He, he, it's a it's a Spolstra masterclass, right? Absolutely, and it's a, it's a total pulling the mask off of how inept J.B. Bickerstaff was in this series, in their Cavs series. Just refused to make changes. If something isn't working for Spolstra, other than Jimmy Butler, he goes away from it. He is not committed to playing any guys if they're not getting it done. It's clearly working for him. We all saw in the in the Knicks series just flailing about, leaving Jared Allen in way too long, not trying anything when he clearly didn't have it. it it's really interesting, and it, it kind of goes along with the other Cavs news that I heard in the last week was that uh, the Cavs are dangling Isaac Okoro and that he's no longer, quote-unquote, considered part of the core, which to me is just, A, utterly ridiculous that you think you're even going to get something for a player you have so thoroughly failed to develop, and B, you know, the big rumor is that the Cavs are going to go after Dylan Brooks, who 
by almost every conceivable metric is a worse player than Isaac Okoro. It, it just, it, it strikes of a franchise that reeks of desperation and incompetence. I don't know anything to say about that, guys. I mean, as far as Isaac Okoro goes, the time to trade him was during the trade deadline. That was the missed opportunity of selling high on Isaac Okoro for a real playoff bench piece. The boat kind of sailed on, although, although he's still young. He, I think he is a trade asset. Not, not very, uh, not like a sought after trade asset, but I think he is a trade asset. It'll be interesting to see Kobe Altman's a wheeler and dealer. So uh, I'll give him a chance to work his magic with Isaac Okoro. What about you, Eli? Any, any thoughts on the, the Okoro news? And do you think the Cavs can actually use him to improve their roster? His salary number is a good number to aggregate in a trade. Um, <laughs> I think there are teams that might like him more than we think. Like like a uh, second second draft guy. Yeah, like you know he's a top he was a top ten talent. I mean, obviously the Cavs picked him fifth. I think there are teams that need a wing like Coro. Um, one that kind of comes into mind is like the Pistons probably like him because Troy Weaver likes kind of those old-school type of players, and Okoro kind of fits that, and he'd be a good fit with Kate Cunningham, better than Killian Hayes, I would say. I think announcing it or letting it leak, or maybe it's the agent doing it, I don't know. It's just the weird weird ploy um, that it's Okoro's name that's not viewed as a core piece. And frankly, I mean, I don't think anyone really thought he was a core piece before that article came out. Like, he was always going to be kind of a, if he develops, that's a sweetener, but if not, you know, it is what it is. I, I think the only guy that thought he was a core piece was Kobe Altman, So That's probably true. Maybe, maybe um, J.B. Bickerstaff. I agree. I think even Chris Fedor has kind of changed his tune on J.B., and I consider him a piece of, you know, an extension of the front office in terms of reporting and news. Yeah, he's a, he's a good bellwether. The fact that on the last couple of pods, he's been very – Critical JB, the seat is definitely warming up. And let's face it, I think it's kind of odd that they didn't really, Chris has not really mentioned Donovan Mitchell's contract situation. We, the Cavs basically have one more year, and next year he can, you know, he'll have a year remaining and he can do a big extension. But obviously, if he doesn't do the extension, you got to look at, hey, we got to get out of this, or, you know, there's not a lot of certainty that he'll re sign with this group. So, that's kind of the bigger storyline for me personally to see how that all shakes out. And I think a little odd that Mitchell has been kind of quiet and he also hasn't gotten that much blame this offseason so far. Chris and I talked about it a little bit before the podcast, but to me, it's I, I, I don't think you can even have a serious conversation about the players on the roster, about, you know, Evan Mobley's development, about uh, Donovan Mitchell's contract situation. When you have the worst coach in the playoffs has not been addressed. And maybe you can say what you want about Spolstra, but he's won a championship before. You know, he's been to the mountain, not Spolstra, coach, uh, Buttonholzer. JB just looked, I said before the podcast, it looked like you're leaving the development of a young Tim Duncan in the hands of a more inept Byron Scott. Uh, I just don't. I can't even think of a historical comp for how bad JB was in the playoffs this year. And I don't think like you just, I watch the offenses teams are running 
And I and I think I tweeted this from the the CTV account. Like the Cavs ran like four plays all years, maybe eight if you if you count them mirroring them to the other side. It's like the mirror tracks in Mario Kart. But you you see these teams running these really complex actions, really precise offense, and it doesn't always work, but it opens up the floor and it moves the ball. And the Cavs run a high pick and roll with a guy at the wing or the dunker and a guy in the corner and two guys in the corner. Like that's their whole offense. And it's so incredibly predictable. I just don't understand how you can watch these playoffs and think the Cavs are remotely ready to compete in that against that kind of competition. And to me, that's as much why Donovan Mitchell was bad in the playoffs as anything. It's like, if you don't think you have a chance with your inept coach, why are you even going to try? That, that's my take on it. <laughs> Two things. I think first, what's funny is talking with non-Cavs fans that I talk to in, in chats and group uh, group chats and stuff like that. Other people were shocked that JB still has a job. So it's funny to hear the outside perspective being extremely critical and low or dismissive of the Cavs and JB in general. The second thing is my beef with JB is in, you see it in the playoffs a little bit here. It's clear that his philosophy is to sell out on defense when what happens in the playoffs is buckets get harder to get. So you've got to be able to sacrifice some defense for guys who can actually get a bucket or can score a bucket. That's to me the big thing is that I don't know about the offense. You know, I think the plays are fine. It's the fact that you've got two you you he started the series with three non shooters. He finally went to Karis Levert, so there was two non shooters, but at the minimum there was two to three non shooters at all times on the court against the Knicks. That he made the Knicks defensive job extremely easy. He made the Cavs extremely easy to defend because he's putting two to three non shooters on the floor constantly. And there was no D, as you know, what you said before was spot on. Absolutely zero adjustment from JB throughout the whole series. Game five looked as bad, if not worse, than game four, game three, game one. You know, there was no adjustment whatsoever. The The one adjustment that he made game two was, okay, he finally benched Okoro. So he found something there. But outside of that, he didn't adjust at all. He didn't go to anybody else. Didn't No, no redemption for Dean Wade. Very little run for Danny Green. You know, even Oh, my one, God. Yeah, Danny Green. That was brutal. Like, he was really good at the beginning in day, game five. They were outscoring the other team, and they just never saw the floor again. Like and how many times did we see that guys will have a good first half and then never see the floor in the second? Yeah. Oh yeah. Throw Sam Merrill out there. What the hell are we waiting? You know, empty the clip. For God's sake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I see coaches constantly going to something. They're they're constantly making it. The the playoff coaches that are surviving right now, they're constantly making adjustments. Look at Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker was out of the rotation. He was uh, dead and buried. Exactly. And then look at what they found in game five uh, against Golden State. You know, there's a coach right there that's able to make adjustments, constantly providing a counterpunch, counterpunch, counterpunch. So uh, to Eli's point, the seat better be hot for JB. And I, I, and I have noticed there was an interesting tweet by Fedor about Kevin Love. Uh, Chris Fedor doesn't slander anybody. 
but it was funny the way he phrased the tweet that was basically <laughs> like be- it, it's not a good look. Yeah, it, exactly. It, well, it was it, the the effect of the tweet was, you know, Kevin Love was, a re- you know, buying out Kevin Love was a regrettable decision. But he also but then he said the caveat was he would not have been used the same way as he's been used in Miami. That to me cannot mean anything else but that a sh- it's a shot at JB. You know, that JB is incapable or is incapable of coming up with a game plan to make Kevin Love useful. Well, yeah, and we saw it tonight. Kevin Love is not a guy that does very well on short rest, you know, back to back or even travel days and one game rest. He didn't play well tonight on that travel day. The past three years, they've refused to kind of stagger him and not play him on back back to backs. And they've mismanaged his injuries. Uh, they did it three of the four of the last seasons. They've mismanaged his injuries. And that's not even the product that's on the floor where you've seen with the heat when Kevin Love has been in the middle of the floor on defense, he's been effective. When he gets stuck out on the wing, he's not effective because guys can just go right by him. Well, but, and the well, and the counter, the what what uh, Spolstra has done to minimize the damage that Love does on defense is he's cross matched. He's putting out a bio on Randall, and he's putting Love on the center. He's putting him Love on right. Mitchell and Hartenstein. So. He can camp in the paint. He doesn't have to go out to the perimeter. Right, exactly. And that's all that you need to do with love and or, you know, play him in the middle of an in a matchup zone. And with that, we'll be right back. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back to Cats Podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with Eli Kim and Chris Francis. The Knicks uh, took down the heat tonight, so game six will be in Miami. Uh, let's hope uh, Kevin Love acquits himself. Sorry, NBA champion Kevin Love acquits himself a little better. Yes, sir. <laughs> kind of looking back on the Cavs season, I, I did have a question for you guys. If there's a coach that shakes loose, do you think there's a chance that uh, – the Cavs could fire JB and go after a coach at the right coaching candidate. 
shakes loose. I think there's no, no chance. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's been my, there's coaches out there right now, like Coach Bud, as you alluded to earlier, out there, available now. You know, the coach that we talked about, I don't know if we talked about last podcast or we talked about just in our own chat or whatever, but James Borrego, finally, his name's popping up and getting interest. For well, you heard my take was uh, Rudy Fernandez, who has a lot of Cavs history. I think he won a G League championship as the coach of the charge. He's on Mike Brown's staff. And he has the team Spain connections with Rubio and Jose Calderon, who's an advisor to the team. If I'm Dan Gilbert, it's hard to even say. He probably doesn't even care this summer. Probably part of the issue. But if I'm the coach, I, I fire Kobe and I, I, I sack everybody. <laughs> and go find some people that know <laughs> what they're doing. Scorched earth, Nate. Well, let, let's talk about, like, all the things the Cavs have done right. You know, it's draft Darius Garland, get Jared Allen for pennies on the dollar, and, you know, draft Evan Mobley and make the Mitchell deal. But all the things they've done wrong, they mishandled the Kevin Love situation, they stood pat when they clearly shouldn't have at the trade deadline this year. The draft with Okoro, the draft with Sexton, clearly could have gone better. I'm pretty on the fence on Kobe Altman, and I think most of the moves he made were fairly obvious. So I, I'm not one of these guys that thinks Kobe walks on water, and I think they can do better. I, If it were me, I'd go hire Jacob Rosen, former uh, Cavs Twitter aficionado and now head of analytics for Memphis, who've been killing the draft the last few years. I go hire him to be GM and and go get uh, Coach Bud or Monty Williams or, you know, my idea. I like Mike D'Antoni, but Rudy Fernandez is be who I'd go get. I mean, I I dumped this regime. I think they have set the bar. Uh, they are the team that um, embodies low expectations, the leadership of this team. It's the everybody gets a culture trophy or everybody gets a trophy culture <laughs> is what this team represents. And to be so satisfied as they were with the fourth seed and 51 wins just smacks of just not a culture of excellence uh, that they need to breed. So that that's what I would do. Anyway, that was a lot. Hey, do you guys think there's any chance Monty Williams gets fired? I don't Monty think Williams? So. I don't think so. Yeah, like if the Suns lose next game. No, I think they'll give them one more year with a full offseason with KD, and I think they'll get rid of it. And maybe I think he stinks three. as a coach, though. I would not even want him if he were available. Really, was that? Oh, I mean, just uh, I think he's overrated. I, I would argue that, you know, basically he's been saved by Chris Paul being injured. He's completely unwilling to bench Ayton, DeAndre Ayton for Landale. I, I'm uninspired by Monty Williams completely. Interesting. I, I like Monty Williams. I think his coaching has gotten worse as his stars have gotten more power. And I think that's part of the issue. I don't know how much control over he has on playing time and that kind of thing. So I don't know. Um, but I like Lonnie Williams, but that's just knee jerk. I'm so far. I'm I'm practically becoming Tom Pestek. I'm so checked out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so one of the things we were talking about doing was going through the roster and who stays and who goes. Like, who would you move and who makes sense to be on this team? Kind of a year in review. 
And I'm going to let you go first, Chris, uh, throw a player out there. I'll start off with my, uh, I'll start off with my favorite, which is Garland. I think he did pretty well. In fact, you know, it was interesting. I think he might have acquitted himself better against the Knicks than even Mitchell did, to be honest. The Hiram Boyd side of Twitter that wants to trade Garland or doesn't think he's worth it. But to me, him being able to play alongside Mitchell, um, being able to get touches for uh, uh, Mobley, thought overall was a pretty good season. Yeah, let's go through his playoff stats. We're talking 21 points, 5 assists. 3.6 3.6 turnovers, uh, 44% from the field, 39% from three, uh, generally a positive plus minus. I can't argue with you that he was pretty solid in the playoffs. You, you might like to see those rebound numbers up a little more. I think that will come as he gets older and stronger. I'd like to be, see him become a better rebounder, kind of a la Steph. I, I agree with you. I think he might have outplayed Mitchell in the postseason. And he had a pretty solid year. I think his counting stats were better than the previous season. He was yeah, better. Yeah, he really didn't take a hit. No, he is, was. Yeah, everything like it's twenty one point seven versus twenty one point six points. His turnovers were down, but so were his assists. But part of that is because the ball's in Mitchell's hands more. Really, there wasn't much of a difference. He has maintained his untouchable status, is what I would say with Garland. So, so what about you, Eli? I was very impressed by Garland this year. He showed the most malleability of the core guys. Good word. Was able to be off ball. He was able to distribute. He was able to spot up shoot. He gets a little too... Like, I feel like the one weakness of his game kind of is, obviously, his size. He'll never be big. And he tries and he competes on defense. But sometimes I do think... He focuses too much on like, hey, I need to score. As malleable as he is, I feel like he still has to also master his malleability. But he has the ability to be malleable, which I think was a big factor for him this year. So do you kind of feel like he has, sometimes you feel like he has to be the playmaker instead of the connector? I feel like one, he's kind of almost too passive. Yeah, like it's one or the other to me. It's like either he's too locked in or he's too deferential. Yeah, and I think it's like weird when Mitchell has a good game. I feel like sometimes he feels like, oh, I got to score too. And then when Mitchell doesn't have it, he still is like, oh, I got to feed Donovan. Whereas he should be doing kind of the opposite. And he has the ability to be the kind of the yin and yang with Mitchell. But Sometimes I feel like he's too nice and he like wants to get Mitchell going, even if Mitchell's like cold or he's like, oh, I got to I got to get myself out of this funk, even though Mitchell has it going on right now. So I think he's definitely a core piece. I mean, hot take alert, but I think him and Mobley are the only two non untouchables for me. You Um, mean untouchables? Untouchable. Yeah. Like, no. Sorry. Yeah. They're untouchable. And I think uh, no offer. And the NBA that's reasonable would uh, get either him or Mobley. And look, he's locked in for five years. Uh, he just seems like a really nice guy. And maybe he'll never be the a one or maybe even the two on a championship team. But he's definitely proven that he's a consistent scorer and distributor in this league. I, I agree with you. I think he can be a number one option. There's nothing in his game that says, hey, you can't go out and be Steph Curry. 
you just have to have the confidence and the Cavs have to run their offense in a way that allows you to do it. But the other side of that is that um, he's small. It's very hard to win with a too small backcourt consistently in the NBA. And if there's a guy on the team that still has a lot of value, his is probably the one that hasn't dropped at all. And if you thought you could go get another superstar, you would probably have to cost you Garland. I don't think the Cavs are inclined to do it, but to me, they need to be thinking about if this isn't working, what are we going to do? Darius Garland should be part of that discussion, but I think you would need like a top 20 NBA player in return. And I'm not sure it would still be worth it then. That kind of takes us to is the future of this team Mitchell or is it Garland? Uh, Eli, you want to talk about uh, Donovan Mitchell's season? Actually, why don't we uh, take a quick break and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Cats of Podcast. I'm here with Eli Kim and Chris Francis. And Eli was just about to tell us what this season looked like for Donovan Mitchell and kind of what the uh, future holds. Donovan Mitchell had a great regular season. He's definitely given the Cavs a lot of uh, good memories in his one season. And obviously, 71 points sticks out to me. Second team all NBA sticks out to me. And I think in the regular season, he proved he's definitely the best player on the Cavs right now. Because he's, he was so great in the regular season, I think he had a very disappointing postseason. Even the game that the Cavs won, he was almost like too passive, although he was a great distributor in that game. I know body languages and everything, but I just felt like he didn't really want to win this year. It didn't feel like he, he was as passionate in the playoffs as he was in his previous stints in Utah. I, so, I don't think the Cavs wanted to win, and I think that rubbed off on him. I think the I mean, Cavs were resigned to defeat. I mean, you can't argue against that. They definitely played like it. The New York questions, they're going to still be there. And, you know, it's being reported still that, uh, you know, Jason Lloyd, who used to cover the Cavs full time, he's been, you know, reporting and re-reporting that everyone still thinks Mitchell wants to go to New York. And, you know, that might be the case. And, you know, this could all be, this could be a shorter than anticipated tenure. He's done all the right things. He's said all the right things so far. And, at least, in, I mean, his regular season, I would give it, I think it exceeded my expectations personally. You know, the playoffs is, are what matters, and he just really shrunk, and it left a pretty sour taste of the year one of Donovan Mitchell for me. So do I still think he's a core player? I think there's no way that you could trade him after just one season. But for me personally, if you are going to make a sweeping change, 
I think I'd be more inclined to trade Mitchell than Garland. That's my hot thing. No, I mean, I 100% agree with Eli. If it's a choice between Garland and Mitchell, I think I would take Garland with Mitchell. The playoffs stunk. He shrunk in the moment. The old adage is it's impossible to find stars. The only part that to me makes him un- not untouchable is what the hell is going on with these New York rumors? Is Jason Lloyd just talking out of his ass? Just Jason start- clickbait Lloyd? Yeah, exactly. So, and he has an axe to grind too. It seems like the relationship between Lloyd and uh, Kobe is very frosty. Although I'll give Lloyd credit, he actually asked tough questions, except he asked stupid questions. So he gets fifty percent credit. <laughs> give me, give me an example. Do you have one? It was last year, I think, last season, where there's people who criticized Kobe, like he wasn't, uh, he either did a press conference or didn't do a press conference or something at there. Oh, and that's where from the desk of Colby Altman came from. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was before that. Yeah. So the criticism came before that. It was a kind of a dumb question because like, who cares? You know I mean? Like Kobe was able to successfully trivialize the question. So point for Kobe, I guess, in that, in that duel. But, you know, like I said, Varden and Joe Varden and Jason Lloyd are the only guys who ask tough questions in this town, apparently. So I don't know where I was going. And and Joe Varden doesn't really ask tough questions in this town. He covers, feels like the Cavs are the last team he covers. Yeah, he's been gone for a while. So, yeah, I mean, like the the question in my mind is, are these Donovan Mitchell rumors legit? Because if they're legit, I don't want him. Get rid of him, then. I trade him after a year. I, I mean, can't. to me, he's said and done everything. I, I, if I think so, that's what I think. I if think. it were me and this was the coaching staff and front office that I was working with, I would very seriously be thinking about going to New York too, because, <laughs> because I haven't seen this anything that makes me think this uh, organization is ready to compete or even wants to. Yeah, I don't. I mean, like the JB thing is a dark cloud hanging over this thing. And like the question in my mind with Donovan and JB is, does Donovan like JB because basically Donovan gets free reign of the offense because of JB? Because that's true. Donovan has full freedom in this offense because of JB. But on the flip side, JB's way out of his league so far. He's not. He's not shown to be a winning coach yet. Like yeah, he got the fifty-one wins. He did it with one of the best rosters in the NBA. And and totally underwhelmed according to his projected whatever that yeah, metric exactly. they were yeah, yeah, the Pythagorean, you know, Pythagorean win expectancy was top five underachieving team all season. The important thing is where is Donovan's mind in terms of his commitment? Kobe Altman spoke about it at the press conference. He said that uh Mitchell and Garland are really good friends. That bodes well, I think, for the future. If there's these rumors and there's going to be consistent rumors, then I'd be worried. I'd definitely be concerned. Yeah. I, I, and I'm with you, and I, I don't put a ton of stock in the playoffs, um, mainly because after Game 3, the Cavs looked really defeated. And part of the problem is I don't think the Cavs have a dog yet. They need a dog, and that dog has to be someone who's actually good enough to play. Um, that dog can't be Llama Stevens. They have to have an energizer. They need their Draymond. I'm hoping that 
Evan Mobley can be that guy, that year three Evan Mobley. He needs to be that guy for the Cavs to take the next level. And I guess that takes us to the next person on our list, the X factor that everything revolves around, and that's Evan Mobley. He struggled a lot this year uh, with expectations. He clearly struggled with his shot. He struggled with turnovers. But kind of as the second half went on, uh, his defense got better and better. I actually think his defense was kind of overrated and that his all-defensive first team is a little overrated, mainly because he wasn't nearly as good the first half. And honestly, he wasn't nearly as good in the first half of games. He really seemed to only start to turn it on in the in the third and fourth quarter. And I think he needs to find a way to be effective for four quarters. But from a defensive standpoint, he has as much potential as anybody in the league. And offensively, they need to put development around him to make him a better player. And I haven't seen him do that so far. But what do you think long term? I mean, he's a core piece, right? He, like, he, he is the core piece, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. I think Mobley is definitely the core piece. I'm not trying to come off too negative just because the way everything went. Defensively, I have zero concerns about Mobley. I think he can anchor defense. I think he proved in spurts, depending on matchup. I think the league's in a really interesting place where there's a lot of unicorns. That term is thrown out there a lot, but Embiid and Jokic's size and skill set is just very... No one can stop them. And Gian, I would throw Giannis in there too. Like no one can stop those guys. Well, and then then you got Porzingis in the regular season put up similar numbers. Exactly. So defensively, I have zero concern about Mobley. Where I do have some reservation about being top ten NBA talent, um, top five NBA talent is his offensive game. I just don't see enough consistent evidence yet to prove that he's better than not a junk but you know uh can't create his own offense getter his stats in like you know post-ups his stats on isolation are still not very great so that's kind of where there is some hesitancy for me on the offensive end but i do think his playmaking has gotten a lot better that is one positive on his offensive front side that I think is very evident is playmaking and passing continues to improve and his feel for the game is great. But I just am a little worried about shooting and isolation and, you know, basically bucket getting. I feel like he's not, he hasn't shown enough to where we can really genuinely project that he will be a good or great offensive hub yet for me. Well, I mean, we know he's an elite finisher. That's one thing. He's when he gets the ball in the dunker spot, I think he didn't he lead the NBA in dunks, um, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> Jared Allen's also on your team. Really good finisher vertically out of the pick and roll, and also a really good catch and shoot finisher. Really good head fake. Where Mobley gets himself into trouble is that the Cavs offense is so unstructured and so kind of haphazard at times like why are you parking Mobley in the corner so often when he's not a good corner three-point shooter yeah you're letting him play there and maybe you think he can get there but he certainly hasn't shown it uh the Cavs have to figure out how to consistently get him the ball in his spots and let him work he was great at trailing plays as a cutter he was great uh, when he kind of got the ball on the elbow 
and could see the defense. But when he had an opportunity, when he dribbled too much or when he tried to isolate, um, he struggled. I think one of the things that he needs to get a lot better at is his handle. Um, one of the things that I really wanted him to do more, especially against a guy like uh, Mitchell Robinson or Hartenstein, is instead of trying to back those guys down and shoot a jump hook over them, face up and go right by them. He didn't have the confidence nor the handle to do that, nor mental processing speed. Well, it's going to be impossible for him to dribble into a paint that's no, guarded by three guys. Well, I was just about to get to that. And, yeah. I, and I, I don't think he's seeing all the double teams yet. And also the Cavs offense has crappy angles <laughs> because there's not enough spacing. And I'm with you. Yeah, Chris, take over. Well, which leads me, the biggest criticism I have of Mobley at this point is the jumper. The jumper is not progressing. He got worse from three-point range. His mid-range game, his shooting from 10 to 16 feet uh, got a lot worse this season. It dropped by almost 10%, although he did massively improve from uh, long mid-range, 16 to three-point range. Three to 10 feet, only 41%. To me, the question is, is how is his jumper? Like, I, to me, I need to see an improvement in a jumper. That's what I want to see uh, as far as his offensive game. I, I kind of agree with, well, I agree with both of you in terms of uh, it's the offense to me that's going to make or break who Mobley is, I think, in terms of how high his ceiling is. He's going to need to be able to shoot. You know, he's got to be able to draw defenders out. That leads me to the question is he a four? That's the that's the whole thing. We had an article written by one of I forget who wrote the article for Cavs the blog. Uh, Danny Danny uh, Danny uh, Socher uh, wrote a great article at the beginning. It was rookie season Evan Mobley, I think he wrote it in the off season. Yeah, um, where he talked about how playing Mobley at the four is going to make his offense the hardest for him to do because he's not going to see the mismatches that he would at the center position. Going or the three. Yeah, or the three, exactly. And so, you know, that leads me to the question about Jared Allen. Are, how high are we still on Jared Allen, gentlemen? <laughs> I, I don't think anybody on this podcast is high on Jared Allen after the uh, series he just put up. Of all the players on the Cavs, I don't think it's any stretch to say that he seemed the most defeated. Would you either of you guys disagree there? No. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Casa Podcast. Eli, Deadpan Kim, and uh, Chris Francis joining me here. Chris, what did we see from Jared Allen in the playoffs compared to the regular season? We saw a completely different player, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. It's shocking how much worse his rebounding is in the playoffs. His defensive rebound rate was 12.9% in the playoffs this season. His career average is 23.8. So yeah, somehow I mean, he, he just was, got completely taken out of his game in the playoffs. Completely annihilated. And then we go to his stocks. Career stock rate is at 5%. His stock rate in the playoffs this year uh, dropped to less than less than three and a half percent, and his true shooting uh, took a dive uh, to sixty percent off of a regular season 
of 67% and a career rate of 66%. And well, and then you wanted to know on-offs and on-court uh, uh, plus-minus. The interesting thing that I see about his um, stats in that regard in the playoffs is that he's been consistently a negative player in the playoffs. Now, granted, he was on some bad or overachieving Brooklyn teams, but he's been a net negative his entire playoff career, minus six on the court, and the Cavs uh, were a less bad, but still bad, minus three and a half on the court. Uh, those aren't oh, wait, no, numbers. I'm sorry. The net, the net is minus three and a half. So the Cavs were less bad with him off the court. My fault. So, so Eli, can Jared Allen come back from this, or should the Cavs be looking to move him? I don't think you can move him. Like, who wants him? Uh, not, not after that series. I think it's tough, but I think you just have to roll with Jared Allen. And I think, if anything, you're going to be seeing a lot less of him through the regular season and hopefully the playoffs. There'll be a lot more staggering um, of him in Mobley. Unless he can start shooting threes, his offensive game is going to not, it won't be repetitive from this year, I don't think. And candidly, my secret wish is that he might strike, try to develop a three point shot. He's a better free throw shooter than Mobley. So maybe that's something he could try to develop and find a way to stay on the court and be a good corner three point shooter. Very optimistic, I know. I, I certainly think he can come back, but I'm not sure he can come back for this coaching staff, which doesn't seem to be able to motivate players to give a crap uh, in the postseason. And they've had problems getting up for games, especially road games throughout the season. And a lot of that is on lack of leadership on the team and lack of leadership on the coaching staff. And, and frankly, the Cavs player development has really not been good. Barely any offensive development from Mobley in two seasons. Clearly, Okoro, they stick him in a corner. No offensive development there. I mean, I would argue that Darius Garland has kind of been fully formed as a player since he came to the Cavs, and they haven't helped him a ton. I, I put most of his development on himself, uh, and maybe, maybe Ricky Rubio a little bit, but to me, the Cavs' lack of ability to develop players' shooting has been really problematic. I think the only player that's really significantly developed as a shooter on the Cavs has been uh, Isaac Okoro, and he still lacks confidence at times. I think this coaching staff does a lousy job of giving players confidence offensively, even in the case of Jared Allen. And I, was it you, Chris? Or somebody else that I talked to that said one of the problems with Jared Allen is that when he's not scoring, he pouts. And yeah. Oh well, that was my buddy. That's my non-Cavs getting the non-Cavs perspective again. Yeah, that he, that he basically basically pouts if he's not involved in the offense. To be fair to Mobley, if you if we use KG as the analog, uh, year three is the year for or, or age twenty three season is the season for Mobley for 2022-23 season. Yeah. So um, I'm expecting big things for Mobley next year. Well, um, how so old is I'll, Jared Allen now? 25? He's 25 now. So yeah. there's less room for, I think, you know, I think Eli makes a good point. Maybe he can develop a shooter, but basically there's not much he's going. I don't think there's much room for his development other than maybe 
if he could push his range out. The Tower City thing is just, yeah, it's a regular season monster, but it's it got exposed. And it gets exposed. I don't know if you remember the Cavs, when the Cavs played the Sixers just before the All-Star break. It was a big game, national TV, Jeff Van Gundy on the call. Cavs are riding high. They were on a win streak going into that game. It was a prove-it game to try and get to the third seed. Big game. It was a statement game. It got, I mean, he got blown out of the water at the first quarter. And Jeff Van Gundy saying, you have three non-shooters on the court. This is not going to work. And I, Yeah, you, exactly. You know, like, like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work against any good team. No, I'm I'm with you. And especially when that third, who was the third guy? Was it Okoro? Yes. yes. Yeah, I mean... He just doesn't have the confidence there. And that's part of what I talk about this. How do the Cavs not have a better shooting coach? Like they've got all these young guys and yet they, they should go out and get a premier shooting coach or a Chip England or a Mark Price. And they just don't have that. And it's kind of ridiculous. Did and, Mark Price say he was available? Oh, Mark Price. Yeah. Mark Price is always available. <laughs> I mean, he's been on three or four different coaching staffs. Um, he tried to fix uh, Michael Kidd Gilker's shot, and it didn't get any better. And I think that may have been what kind of doomed him in the NBA. But yeah, he he's probably done as a coach. But I still would give him a shot. I mean, I don't understand why the Cavs aren't investing more heavily in shooting because as you noted Mobley's shooting stroke is really wonky and kind of broken and it needs to get better especially if the Cavs want to be a better team so I, I don't know how to fix that uh, to me Jared Allen can come back but I don't think this is the coaching staff he can do it for and I think after the break we'll maybe talk about some guys that would make sense for the Cavs. And, you know, one of the trades that I pitched was moving Jared Allen for Christian Wood, a guy who can rebound and shoot, have some stocks numbers, has been a bit of a locker room problem in a couple places, but also can shoot and rebound <laughs> and is tall and block shots. And the Cavs need a guy that can shoot and rebound to play with Mobley. Mobley's the future, so I would definitely look at that. I actually think he would help the Mavericks in that they need more defense. Although I'm not sure that Jason Kidd wouldn't destroy him. Anybody else we got to talk about of, of the core four? I guess the other guy is the man of the hour, uh, the pending free agent, let Karis cook, <laughs> Eli. <laughs> uh, do you think Karis LeVert is a Cav uh, come August? and Or do they look to sign and trade him? Like, what, What's the story with Karis LeVert? The Cavs have painted themselves into a corner, and he's going to come back. I think it's going to be interesting if they give him a two-year deal or a three-year deal. So I'm kind of intrigued by that situation. I, I've mentioned on the group chat, I think, with the way the cap works, the Cavs want to operate as an above-the-cap team. So I think that pretty much locks in LeVert at close to, you know, uh, anywhere from like a 16 to 22, $23 million player for Cleveland next year. So with that being said, look, I think Levert exceeded my expectations in the playoffs. He played pretty well. 
the Cavs would have gotten swept with Hotler because they needed a, another ball handler because Rubio was not going to give them anything in the series. In the series, so. I, know, I disagree, but okay. I think going forward, Rubio will have a year to prove it. Levert, I I do have to give him credit. He his role went from starting to being the sixth man to start again in the playoffs, and he kind of did. He did a good job. He made his spot of three pointer. His main responsibilities have to be making catch and shoot threes, playing good defense, and then also having more malleability, like like I said with Garland, where when he needs to be the playmaker, he can have that switch. And it kind of sucks because he's going to have to be able to do that more frequently than Garland is. But that's kind of the role the Cavs need out of him. I, I thought he was great at that in the playoffs, other than kind of doing those things that Ben Worth kind of cringes about of wandering into the paint and not know what he was going to do and just throwing up a lackadaisical fadeaway, which he didn't do too much. Um, I, I thought he was really good at switching gears and, you know, being that spot up three point shooter or being the drive and kick guy or, or being the guy that got to the basket. And I thought he was pretty good on defense. Not always great, but pretty good. And the Cavs need that third third guy that can play three positions for them. And I think we all know how Chris feels. So with that, we'll be right back. He won't get to talk about him. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with you like him. And Chris Francis is threatened to quit. Uh, <laughs> he's threatened to go sign with uh, one of the other blogs. That he, go go uh, join uh, King James Gospel if we don't uh, let him talk about Karis LeBurn. So <laughs> take your victory lap, Chris. Oh, man. Well, I mean, you know, it was nice to see him elevate his game in the playoffs because the one thing that I, that stood out about Karras' numbers is that he actually shot better in the playoffs than he did in the regular season. He was pretty bad in the, he was pretty bad in the regular season, as a matter of fact, uh, but he ended up being one of the better shooters. Low bar, granted, but he was one of the better shooters in the playoffs. And the three ball has really, really come around this season. Basically, from March on, that three ball was pretty much deadly. It's great to see that his defense, uh, I think, also took a a step forward as well. His activity on that end, especially the job he did on Brunson. He stopped fouling three-point shooters. Yeah, yeah. I think he just takes a long time to get acclimated. And, And to be fair, like he was out of the game for a long time. He was out of the game in his prime years of his career, as a matter of fact. Yeah, he missed the whole year. Yeah, with, uh, with cancer. liver yeah. or kidney cancer. You know, I think he, I think he has late bloomer potential. He has the athleticism. He has the skills. He just doesn't have that feel for when to shoot, when to like, just the decision making about when to shoot, when to pass, when to pick his spots. You know, kind of the malleability uh, that Eli was yeah. talking about with Garland. Like that's kind of. He needs more coaching on that on that uh, aspect of the game. But if he could really figure that out, he, I mean, he had the thing I noticed about him in the Knicks series. He was to me the only perimeter player who could consistently get a dribble drive into the paint. Now, did he make his shots in the paint, or did he make good passes in the paint? Okay, you know, there's criticism there. I get that. 
but I'd, I'll okay. give you the same argument you gave me for Evan Mobley. It's really hard when you got four guys in the paint. Exactly. That, no. Exactly. No. Absolutely. Great point. You know, I appreciate you putting it. You know, putting it back on, uh, throwing it back to me because uh, it's true. Uh, but even so, he was still like his skill level with his dribble is so good, uh, and his athleticism and his size. He could just get his shoulder, get the angle, uh, get the driving angle, put his shoulder down. He's he can get to the paint at will. And, and and I will say the second half of the season in the playoffs, he was a far superior finisher than he was in the first half yeah. oh, of yeah. the season, and yeah, especially so. on layups. Like I think the coaching staff told him, "You don't have to shoot a floater every time. You're big enough. You can go in and lay it in, yeah, and or go in and get draw foul." Yeah, and he and he has the skill to lay it. He's ambidextrous. He can he can lay it up with either hand. So I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he'll be a Cav. It'd be cool if the Cavs could find guys like Karras where there's some development uh, that can be had. That That's the thing that I wonder about Karras. That'll be interesting to see is, does he plateau? Because that's what the analytics would tell you is that pretty much this is the best Karras will ever be or whatever because of the age, uh, you know, the aging curve. But I just I have a belief that he's a, a, a bit of a late bloomer. He lost a year in his prime because of the cancer. And he I, doesn't have a like ton of miles in the playoffs on him either. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and I and, and I think his skill level is just so good with his dribble. You know, the the skill level is just so high with his dribble. I think he has some long longevity there with his game. So, um, you know, I I I hope for the best. You mean long longevity? Longevity. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Shout out to Karis. Karis Agenda Vindicated. Thank you very much. We can kind of talk about some of the other guys on the team. And I don't think we're going to go in as much depth. But, you know, Chetty Osman, I almost wish the Cavs would trade him at his, at this point because he's been so criminally jerked around by this coaching staff. I, I'm with Eli. Why don't you just let him start for 20 games and see what you got? It just drives me nuts. The shortness of... Teddy Osmond's leash. I, I feel like he's going to go. He has that longevity that I feel like Chris was talking about. Like he would go to another team and just be a guy, you know, 14 points, three assists for like the rest of his career and really solid bench player or starter rotation player. The Cavs don't seem to ever give him a consistent role and it drives me nuts. I almost wish that they'd let him go. I don't know. Eli, Chris, what do you think? I feel a lot of the same way. I'm in the trade Chetty camp completely because at the end of the day, what I think is going on is he's not a cat. He's not a three and D player. The Cavs keep on trying to turn him into something that he's not. He's a secondary creator guy that needs the ball in his hand, needs to dribble and, and create a play for him or somebody else, you know, on a, on a secondary action. That's who he yeah, is. Yeah, and not, somebody who's great in a motion offense. Yes, exactly. He's, he's great off ball. Yes, cutting and screening and that kind of thing. He's not a spot up shooter. And this is what the Cavs have tried to turn him into for four or five years now. It's just going back to coaching again. So it's a coaching failure. You know, the coaches have failed Chetty basically in this, especially this past season when he was playing really well. He was playing good team basketball. Starting Lamar Steven, that that's that's the most mind-boggling stat of the season. That that indicates everything wrong with his coaching staff. Starting Lamar Stevens, twenty-three freaking games this season. 
what the hell were they doing? Like, why are we wasting our time? I'm okay. I'm speechless. I, someone else talk. No, the amount the amount of time that the Cavs have given to scrubs and not turned over the bottom of their roster looking for better players is just staggering over the last four years. Eli, go. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Jetty fan, but I think a breakup here is inevitable. I think a team will trade for him because his expiring six, seven million dollar slug is very enticing, and you know, gives you a one year window to see what what you like about it, whatnot. I, I actually think um, Chetty has an interesting contract in that he next year is non-guaranteed and the Cavs have to guarantee it by 629. So the Cavs could conceivably trade for another player that has a contract going into next year that another team wants to get off of before the end of the season. Uh, to clear some cap space, and the receiving team could waive Chetty to clear that cap space. So I think it's not inconceivable that the Cavs could trade him before we even get the NBA fiscal calendar flip over. I think it's crazy that even how or Diakide got a start this year. Lamar got twenty plus starts. Um, Dean Wade got some starts, but Jetty never got starts. And at one point, for like 40 games in the season, he was like the highest net rating bench player in the entire league. And they still and, and then he well, and then he just wouldn't see the floor some games. It was maddening in losses, no less. Yeah, and look, I think in the playoffs he didn't play. I mean, he was okay. He was probably. He was the most consistent bench player, I think, um, after Levert became a starter. And I agree that he probably, he doesn't fit this system and the coaching staff at all. But, I mean, shoot, during the Turkish Heritage Night, they showcased him and he actually played lights out. And it's kind of... Didn't he drop like almost 30 in that game or something? He's had a couple in Fuego games this season. And he's he he's streaky. I get it. He's not he's not a great he's not an elite shooter, so you can't trust his three pointer. But he had gravity, and he can pass. I mean, and he's, he's awesome in transition. Yeah, he's amazing. I just feel like the Cavs are doing him a disservice if they keep him along for one more year and don't plan to give him a consistent role and consistent time. I we talk about like oh like who the Cavs can get who the Cavs can get, and for me there's not a player for seven million dollars that is better or brings the skill set that you're looking for, um, that fits better for today's NBA than Jetty Osman. So, well that that's fair. There. I I think you could aggregate him, but yeah no I think I think we would all love to see him be featured more and, but we also realize that given what we've seen from this coaching staff, that's not realistic. And I think you mentioned another guy I want to talk about who, again, the Cavs have just sucked at giving guys offensive confidence and Chetty. We talked about that. And the next guy I'm going to talk about is Dean Wade, because he was talked about as a possible starter with his elite starting unit. And he was, he kind of had a disastrous season. Now, was it injury, Chris, or was it, them jerking him around or is there more going on? I don't know. Like you, you keep up on the, the rumblings. What's the rumblings on Dean Wade? 
with Dean Wade, I think it was definitely the injured completely cratered his season. And then once he came back, the role that he found himself in was not the same as the one that made him successful. He go on. His, he made he played his most successful ball at the beginning of the season as a as a, a small forward. He played the three, the Coros position. Donovan Mitchell, Karis Levert, Dean Wade uh, lineup was unstoppable at the beginning of the year. They were the ones that reeled off the eight straight wins, including two against the Boston Celtics. He and we never a, saw it again. We never saw it again. Exactly. Uh, uh, he was also involved in, I believe he was also um, part of the the one Diakite start where they beat Joel Embiid in the Sixers. So he played small ball three in that game uh, with uh, Mobley at the five and Diakite at the four. And they effectively neutralized uh, Embiid in that game. Well, so, and it's interesting because... They had talked about that at the beginning of the season that he was going to kind of be the replacement for Laurie Markkinen in that big three Tower City lineup where they would have a big, I guess, big three, just like I talked about it, but a big small forward. Yeah, and and that was nowhere to be found as soon as he came back from injury. So once he came back from injury, he was pigeonholed into a backup. He was pigeonholed into Kevin Love's role as the backup four, and he floundered. Part of the reason why he floundered is that he was playing with backups. There was more expectation for him to do stuff on offense in that role because think about what Kevin Love did. He was the high, He was by far the highest usage bench player when he played. So I think there was the expectation that Love needed to score in the backup role, whereas you know when he plays with the starters, there's no expectation for him to score he gets scr- he gets scraps, you know that he gets the same scraps that Okoro gets, you know when he plays with the starters. Um, well, and it's interesting because you talked about the Cavs were looking for a three and D player, and that was kind of what perfectly Dean Wade was suited for, and then yep. they didn't play him in that role. It's just yep. like because in the Cavs system, the three, the small forward is really a three and D player. They just camp him in the corner and you hit open jump shots. Yeah, and he was great at that at the beginning of the season. Shooting, he was shooting at a 40% clip at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that. the corner so, and the wing. Yeah, yeah. He's, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him because obviously he was on the outs with JB in the playoffs. You know, got one uh, peekaboo and then never to be heard or seen from again. So, uh, and, they, and he's kind of a, I mean, he's a five, six million dollar salary. So is he trade fodder? I don't know what you guys think. Eli? Did we lose Eli? No, I'm here. I'm here. Look, is, it, I think, is it ramen or are you out walking your dog or what? No, neither. Uh, I think the Dean Wade year started decent. I think there was a legit argument he should have started. The injury definitely derailed him. I forget who posted on Cast Twitter, but someone showed before the injury he was close to 40% three-point shooting after the shoulder injury. He was basically a 30% three-point shooter. And obviously when your shot's not falling and you got hurt and your shoulder from banging down low, your confidence is probably shot. Look, I think a full off season, getting fully ready, there is a chance. I still contend that there is a version of Dean Wade that is the best, you know, fifth starter for this task core. I think the contract he has kind of indicates that he won't be going anywhere unless the team 
loves him or it's a salary filler. Yeah, he's fully guaranteed the next two years and then a partial guarantee on the last year. And it's not a huge number, so it's like, what, six, seven million Yeah, bucks. but it's what what's the old saying? It's not that a number, it's the years. Yeah. So, But, yeah, because he's guaranteed $4 million in his third year. I think with this, as the team is currently constructed, like I would play him over Lamar. He would be like the seventh guy for sure right now at the very minimum. So I think the the Cavs, for better or worse, are stuck with him. And obviously, I hope that he can get his shot back after that shoulder injury and surgery. So I'm off to, I'm cautiously optimistic that he can kind of regroup form and be a, a key rotation piece next year. I'm going to move on to a guy you just mentioned that I hope is not on the team next year. I hope that Lamar Stevens is gone because the dog if if the if if the jyd the original jyd can't play on the floor you need a new jyd and he stunk this year he's not a good player in this system he's a energy guy he's a 12th guy You, you shouldn't be starting 20 games it's ridiculous and i think you need to take the option away from jb because he's not a he's not a good player and i don't think he ever will be but i've been saying that for three years so, Chris? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was a big fan of Lamar Stevens, but the love has been gone. The love is lost this past season. I have lost that agenda. I've been completely owned. He's terrible. I'm sorry, you know, Lamar. I tried to, I tried to ride with you. He's just not a good me. enough offensive player to play in the NBA. Yeah. Rotation he, minutes. Exactly. And, and the biggest problem with him, it, I could even live with the terrible shooting. But the problem is, is that he's a tunnel vision guy. He can't make a pass. He won't oh, and he's horrible in transition. He, yeah, he won't. Like, he, the ball sticks to him. I don't want a guy that where the, if, if you suck on offense, you better be good at passing. That's what I think. You know, if you suck on offense, you better get the ball to somebody who's actually good on offense. And he doesn't. He'd rather cook. So, <laughs> no, thank you. Eli, are we all agreed uh Lamar Stevens needs to go. Yeah. If JB wasn't the coach, I'd be okay with him as being your 13th man, minimum salary guy. Let him be your Udonis Haslam, absolutely. Exactly, but JB loves him. And I'm I'm 100% convinced it's because he sees the hustle and practice and it reminds him of like the old school. Uh, you got to reward guys who kill it and practice and hustle and all that crap. So you're right. I think the Cavs do have to kind of get that option away from uh, JB because it's kind of been his regular season breaking case of emergency option. They're just better players that you can, that brings better skill sets for that salary slot and roster spot. So I'm all for not bringing back Lamar next year. Do you think Dylan Windler is back with in any capacity with the Cavs next year? Maybe as a sign and trade? I don't know. Or, or, like a um so what's the situation with this with his contract this it's up he's a restricted free agent yeah i I doubt they extend him a tender offer to be honest with you just given his salary slot but i don't see how he can because it'd be a big number it'd be like yeah and you'd need the cap hold now that being said i think he there's a possibility he's back on a two-way but to me the way the Cavs managed the expiring contracts of Kevin Love and Dylan Windler was 
for a team that's going to be operating above the cap next year or this coming season, it's general manager malpractice the way they haven't, they didn't leverage those into players that could be on the roster this next season or that they could operate a sign and trade to get, you know, a player that makes more sense from another team. They have done a very poor job of managing the few assets they do have, but I'm not going to spend any more time on Dylan Windler. I, I think the Cavs held on to him for too long to begin with. Sorry, Eli. Well, hold on. I'm just going to say this. Kobe Altman loves to talk about expiring contracts and how they're important and stuff, but he's like the worst at actually doing He's like yeah. people who talk about getting laid a lot. He's <laughs> they're like the people that the people that talk about it the most are the ones that get laid the least. Well, I was just about to say he talks about how valuable they are because he trades to try to get them, and then he never is able to flip them like he thinks he can. Like, <laughs> yeah, like he's the one drama. creating the market, and then he can't get out of his own market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's a derivatives trader that <laughs> never yeah. execute exercises the option. So he just is. That's one thing where I and he's taken some big swings, man. Like Drummond, that was a big contract. Nothing happened. Um, obviously, Kevin Love's whole thing and uh, ah, Drummond. There's a guy that would have actually been useful for the Cavs in the playoffs. I mean, shoot, Tarian Prince. That one was the one he lucked into because of the uh, Jared Allen deal. Um, like so, yeah, Tarian Prince was good this uh, playoffs. Yeah, and but also of all the guys who've been on the Cavs roster in the last three or four years, I could just tell by watching him play, he was the one that most hated being on this team. He loathed being on the Cavs. Just from his body language the entire time he was on. Like, I feel like he had just zero respect for the coaching staff and the organization and just did not want to be here. Like he would have rather have been him. He was so happy to be in Minnesota of all places. Yeah. And he was also NBA Siberia. He was the one that came out and uh they beat that. Remember the whole like everyone thinks Colin Sexton can't pass and can't do anything. It, yeah. And it came out that it was him. It was No, no, no. Him. No, it was Larry Nance was I the guy was, I heard it was. I thought it was Torian Prince and they thought it was funny because he was only there for like two months and he saw that stuff. yeah there you go there you go okay so who else we got we got uh raul neto i don't think he's going to be back even though i thought he was fine this year yeah yeah i would i'd be 100 percent down to bring him back the problem is that Cavs have too many guards but i like you said i would definitely not be opposed to it as a break in case of emergency point guard I also, Ricky Rubio, I don't think is going anywhere. You got to hope that another, you know, offseason remove from that knee injury can kind of get his shot back. And I felt like he just never really got into a rhythm after coming back from the injury. Did you guys kind of get the same vibe? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he was, he, he looked like a shell of himself. And all the talk was about it was a two year deal with him. So they're expecting him to be good this year. So we'll see. Interesting. And then I guess the other guys we've got are the kind of the fringe players. Diakite, who with criminal, he wasn't on the regular season roster for the playoffs. They certainly could have used him. He couldn't have been worse than Jared Allen. Uh, do you think Diakite is back? 
I think he's at least in training camp next year, right? Yeah, I hope so. Sign him. Yeah. yeah. I like I him. See how long. Yeah, and then Evan Mobley's brother, Isaiah, Isaiah Mobley. Yeah, and I think they kind of think Isaiah might be a rotation player in the future, like that third big man, because I really felt like they went out of their way to develop him and not kind of keep him going back and forth from the charge the way Diakite did, who I think they more viewed as an emergency player. I, I think he's going to get every opportunity. I don't think he's going anywhere. And then Sam Merrill, probably a summer league and training camp guy. I hope he gets a shot. He certainly looked fine in the G League and looked fine on the Cavs and when he did play. And I think he deserves every opportunity. And the Cavs could use as many guys as possible that can shoot. I so, like them all more than Lamar Stevens. Well, uh, agreed. I'm with you guys. <laughs> Maybe we'll take one more break. And then when we come back, we can kind of talk about the assets the Cavs do have. And I want to see your ideas of who the Cavs should chase this summer. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I am Nate Smith, and I'm not very good at podcasting because I cut Eli off. And we have to redo the segment. But uh, Eli, <laughs> tell me who you want on the Cavs and tell me how much money they have to spend. <laughs> Yeah, I think if I'm not mistaken, the Cavs are going to have their mid-level exception, which should be around ten and a half to eleven million dollars a year as a starting point. They also will have the biannual exception, which a lot of teams use when they kind of switch the switch to the contending side, and you can go into a luxury tax with that typically. So, realistically, I, I'm going to name some trade targets first that I think are gettable. Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith are gettable from the Nets. And I think Robert Covington is gettable from the Clippers. If I had a re- of those three, I think I like Robert Covington the most. He'd be a good veteran presence. He has a good uh, three-point shooting uh, career, uh, a good history of taking and making three-pointers. And he has good experience playing kind of a small ball uh three, four, five uh, in his career. So he checks a lot of the boxes of what the Cavs are looking for. And there's some kind of relationship to him and Garland that's been reported. So that'd be my kind of, those are my three guys I like to trade for. In terms of signing, I think kind of a low-hanging fruit would be like Yo Wontanabe, uh, another net who's a great shooter, but probably not as good of a defender. And then kind of pivoting from the wings or three-point shooters, I go with Nas Reed from Minnesota. Oh, I think Nas Reed is going to be one of the premier free agents in the NBA because he puts up a really good numbers and he's only like 23 and he's an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, so this is a pipe dream anyway. I don't think any of these players are coming to the Cavs, so let's, so why not dream big and hope Nas Reed yeah, can be no, that big? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good name. What about you, Chris? Okay, so now that I'm clear about the what the money situation is, there's three names that I've got in my brain. Uh, I would say some more likely than others, or some more realistic than others. Uh, Daria Saric would be one. Kind of gives you the rebound and shooting, although his defense probably is lacking. Although and, his, and his shooting has kind of fallen off, too. Has it? I, I I'm not familiar with his yeah. recent work, but but yeah, he's I, another I guy that maybe he just needed another year coming back from knee injury. Yeah, the another guy is P.J. Washington, who I'm not sure 
He's a restricted. Um, he's he's unrestricted, I believe. Is he unrestricted? Okay, I'm not sure what his status is in in Charlotte. Uh, they've, uh, they've he's got... restricted. You're actually right. But, okay. Yeah. Um. So I don't know about him. Uh, the Grant Williams would be another name. He's restricted as well, but he's lost a lot of money uh, over this past season. So I think he became yeah. gettable uh, for uh, teams, uh, uh, possibly. Rui Hachimura, uh, he's a kind of acquitted himself decently in these playoffs. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think the the Lakers don't have very many Right. Well, they don't have many options to keep guys, and they're operating over the cap anyway. At that point, you almost have to re-sign guys. Well, I don't know if they can only re-sign. Like, I, I wonder if they'll lose. They can possibly lose him the same way they lost Malik Monk. No, I don't think so because I think he's restricted, and Malik Monk was like one yeah, of those weird. weird yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And so, and then yeah, they Cam, have his they have his full bird rights. Yeah, and then Cam Johnson, another restricted free agent. Yeah, yeah and I think Cam is the dream target that even Chris Fedor has mentioned. Yeah, so th- those are you know I, I think I, Cam Johnson would take a sign in trade of some type, but I could be wrong. I think he's going to get more than the mid level is the problem. Yeah, I think it's borderline. I would say it's borderline. The problem is he's so young and shooting is at such a premium in the NBA. He's not that young. He's just 27 now. Okay. Shooting is such a premium in the NBA. But he's 27. (laughs) I think you can project out that his shooting is going to translate till he's 31. You know, I think that's... Sure, sure. No. This is his his opportunity to grab this. Yeah, exactly. So for me... I kind of gave my ideal sign-and-trade target. Uh, Christian Woods, an unrestricted free agent. I think you could definitely look at moving Jared Allen for him and maybe another guy from the Knicks and uh, maybe give Christian Wood anywhere between 16 and $20 million. Another guy that I really like for this team as a vet who can play multiple positions would be Joe Engels. And I think he and uh, Donovan and, and and Ricky Rubio have a good relationship. Another guy that I really like in terms of free agents, I think a lot of people have talked about Tory Craig. I would not like him for the full, for the mid level, but maybe that mini mid level, uh, like four million a year. Uh, the problem is he's thirty two, and how many good years does he have left as a three and D guy? You don't know. I think somebody's running my garbage. No, it's my dishwasher. That's what I heard. Sunny kind of funky from behind. <laughs> Another guy I like is uh, Thomas Bryant, who could be a buy low guy from the uh, Lakers and the Nuggets this year. He can kind of fill that backup three or four five position. Um, another nugget I really like, and I really feel like the Cavs kind of missed an opportunity. Uh, Troy Brown Jr. is a Troy Brown Jr. from the Nuggets. He's a really interesting player. He plays shooting guard. Plays but he for also, Lakers. Oh, okay. No, I'm thinking of. Uh, it's gonna drive me nuts. Talk about Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown Jr. Yeah, sorry. He's shooting guard, but he actually plays the two, three, and four position. He plays a lot of power forward, um, and he's kind of a power forward in a shooting guard's body, which I feel like is a little bit of something the Cavs need. But he's a good shooter. He he is a starter quality player. I feel like he could be a really good six man for the Cavs. 
and fill that uh, Chetty Offman role um, if he's gone. And that that's a guy I would give the full mid-level to a guy like that. Other guys I like from Denver, Jeff Green, if he doesn't get a job. I can't believe Jeff Green is playing as well as he is at 37 years old. He just looks like he's in incredible shape. Other guys, uh, Derek Jones Jr., the Cavs missed out on a couple of years ago, I think would be a much better option at small ball four. And I'm trying to think of it. I'm sure there's other guys out there, but those are the big ones. Trey Lyles is another guy, uh, kind of a fringe bench guy that I think the Cavs could do worse than. Yeah, and then there's guys like, you know, Svi, Mahailu. How do you pronounce it? Uto, I, I pronounce it Uto. Yuta Watanabe, but I probably didn't pronounce it right. How did you say it, Eli? I think you're right. I think it's Watanabe. Okay. Yeah. Who is, I think, the only uh, Japanese national in the NBA. Although, oh, what's his name from uh, the Lakers that we just mentioned? I think. Rui Hachimura. Is he a Japanese citizen? Do you know? I think he is. Yeah. So. He's Japanese Jordan, as they say. Yeah. The other guy I'd love is Jalen McDaniels and Nas Reed, obviously. Jalen McDaniels, I think, is an unrestricted free agent. And I think the only way you get him from the Sixers is if they don't want to pay him. But him and Nas Reed are, would be two of my biggest targets. I think Nas Reed would be a fantastic Jared Allen replacement. Or even send Jared Allen to the bench and start Nas Reed. So there, there's a lot of options out there, but like you guys said, shooting, rebounding um, should be the top two things the Cavs are going after. So, and with that, uh, anything else to add on the kind of the offseason front? Any other crazy things you think are going to happen? I mean, obviously, I think the Kyrie situation is probably, is that the biggest domino to fall in the offseason or is it Harden? Oof. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of dominoes that could fall this offseason. Yeah. Harden, Kyrie. Oh, I um, think Jalen Brown. Could yeah, be Jalen Brown. Because of, he's eligible for the Supermax, and Boston might not want to give him one. Yeah, and a lot of Boston fans are blaming him on being behind in the series to Philly right now, too, which is silly. But I mean, low-key, he could be a player that if uh, the Cavs want to get off of one of their core guys, that's the player I think you go all in for. Would you trade Mitchell for uh, for him? Oof. That is... On a Supermax? That's tough. Well, he can't, he can't take the Supermax because if you do that, you can't get traded for a year. Oh, okay. Um, so, I think he... I think if Mitchell's doesn't want mine here, I think you have to look at it. Interesting. Is Mitchell eligible for an extension this season? No, it has to be next year. Okay. Yeah. Oh, another guy. Do you think the Cavs would have any shot at Gary Trent Jr.? feel like he kind of was destined to get a big payday and then kind of fell off at the end of the year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the only I, – I feel like he's going to be kind of the, one of those second wave free agents when everybody misses out on the top guys, he, he's a guy that's going to get some looks. But I think he might have to settle for the mid-level. And if he does, then he probably is going to lobby Toronto for a sign-and-trade. And I don't think the, sign, the Toronto would sign-and-trade with the Cavs. Do you? No. Yeah, I, I think they're just in too much contention. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm with you. The other guy I like, Harrison Barnes, I think is just going to make too much money. I, I think he'd come back. I think he'll come back to Sacramento for $18 million before he'd take a mid-level. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah for easily. sure. Do you think there's any way Jeremy Grant moves? Only completely blow it up, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> that just makes no sense to me, but whatever. Hey, keep cashing them checks, you know what I mean? Would you take a look at Brooke Lopez, or have you seen too many Lopez's for one lifetime in a Cavs uniform? Said he's old. No, absolutely not. Well, he was also a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Fake. The honest <laughs> merchant. <laughs> so good. Okay. Okay. What about Kelly Oubre? Uh, you can, I, you'd have to consider him. I, yeah. The, to me, he's like the last resort. To me, he's too not good enough of a shooter. But I don't know. The Cavs. And then, of course, there's my boy that uh, slow mo that me and Eli like. But I, I think Chris might quit the pod if uh, the Cavs ended up with uh, slow-mo. What's He's his name? Uh, Chris Anderson? Kyle Anderson. Yeah, the, yeah the, does he fit the rebounding and shooting criteria? Uh, good enough. I would but, never trust his shot. I don't care how good his <laughs> percentage is. I'm, I'm it's fair. Ugly. He, fair? He, he, no, he's, it, it's very slow. He's not a he's a guy that teams will sag off until he makes a couple for sure. Yeah, career thirty four percent. Yeah, I don't. Know. Hey, yeah, I mean as a backup three four five, I wouldn't hate him, but yeah, he's not a world beater. Okay, guys, anything to pitch this week? I know this has been a technically fraught podcast, so let, <laughs> let let's uh, don't all speak up at once. I'm gonna pitch getting off Twitter which I logged on to Twitter this week, and man, that is a cesspool. Uh, and then I'm going to pitch Rectech Pellet Grills. I got new Rectech Grills. Pretty good. You guys got... That sounds good. Yeah, you guys got, got anything? Yeah, yeah I, I'm pitching uh, Blink-182. I'm going to Cleveland what? next week to go to their concert. So Hey! It'll oh, be interesting. Man, that's a blast from the past. Yeah, they uh, were the, you know, the they headlined Coachella because someone dropped out last week. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see them. This will be my third time seeing them. But it's kind of sad because I do think their age is definitely showing now. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of we're all not getting your 50. Yeah, we're all not getting younger. So, it's still yeah, weird. I went and saw a couple of metal bands on Monday. I saw Beartooth and Trivium. If you're familiar with either of them, but it was definitely definitely felt like the old guy there. Uh, Eli, are you gonna savor all the small things? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. All the small yeah. things is one of my favorites. So. Nice, that's a good one. Chris, anything to pitch? Yeah, just rest in peace to my fallen friend Ricky Metcalf. He was a good dude. He was always kind to me, helped me grow up in the Cincinnati area. Uh, he will be uh, very missed by his family and friends. So and I'm just shout uh, out to Ricky. Yeah, yeah and, and I and I will say on that note, happy birthday, Corey Huey, and right. uh, and as always, go Cavs, go Cavs, go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.